everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the X Factor Racing Podcast. Uh, All of us ladies are back, ready to talk about the Derby. We have a special guest, a very special guest today. We have the one and only Benny Southstreet. He'll introduce himself in a minute, but ladies, you want to take it away? Hi there. It's uh, Sherry Riddock back for another week of Good Derby and Preakness Discussions. You can uh, reach me at Sherry at GoPhilly on Twitter, and I am predominantly uh, handicapping Woodbine. Hi, I'm Mary Rufo. I'm at Miss Mary Rufo One on Twitter. I'm back to be. I'm happy to be back with these ladies this week, and I'm looking forward to some discussions of what's coming on in the Triple Crown Trail. Hi, I'm Caitlin Free. Back once again. You can reach me at Caitlin E. Free. Excited to be talking Triple Crown, of course, and catching up with Benny and all of the other ladies on here. Predominantly, like Sherry said, I'm going to be at Churchill, and of course, I'll be paying attention to the Triple Crown as well. But excited to be back. Absolutely, Benny. Tell us about yourself. Benny South Street, also known as Ryan Flanders. That's my real name. It's it's good to be with you, gals. I've uh, I'm a fan. I've listened to a. I haven't gotten to them all because I've been busy in the replay booth. But uh, you guys are doing good work. It's it's cool to see you guys get together and and put together some ideas for, for the ladies of the business. Thank you. We are we are very happy with what we're doing. And uh, Carson Dennis just joined us. Carson, you want to say hello? I believe she just joined us, or did she leave? Ah, we'll get her back in. All right, so ladies, let's talk about the heartbreak and the the wonder that was the Derby. Encore, should I uh, jump in as the girl on sabbatical that likes to join every so often? Absolutely, introduce yourself. All right. I'm Nancy. I am in, uh, just uh, hopping in today. I'm usually uh, love these ladies and some once in a while I get to jump in. So excited to talk with everyone on Derby Preakness and um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being on. We love it when you're here with us. So good stuff. All right, let's talk about the Derby ladies. I want to say I had a fantastic Oaks day. Oaks was amazing. Secret Oaks. She did everything I needed her to do. The Derby totally fell apart for me, though, although I imagine it fell apart for most people. So I think my heart sank. Oh, really? Who'd you have, Mary? Well, I had Messier, but I think I I was really excited for Steve Asmussen. I was really just I, I saw Epicenter there and I'm like, he's got it. He's got his first Derby. And I was so happy for him. And then all of a sudden I see this, what I presume to be two and Happy Jack sneak up the rail. And I'm just, I, I'm sitting on the couch there in shock. I'm in absolute shock when this is happening. And then I realize it's the 21, which blows my mind because, you know, when I woke up on Friday morning, he was not in the Kentucky Derby and there he is winning. And I was just saying the other day that there was a woman I saw recently in Pittsburgh, and this last week, she had a Kentucky a Kentucky Derby shirt on. It has the whole lineup and everything on the back, and Rich Strike isn't even on there because he was brought in because of Ethereal Road. So it was a wild derby. Was it Carson on Twitter who pointed out that the cups, all the Derby cups, had TBD 
on them. Somebody did. And I thought it was Carson for some reason, but they said TBD on the 2021 derby. Got it. it. Yeah. So I don't know if they've been fixed or not, but they made the cups, I guess, before (laughs) everything had happened with Mandaloon officially being made the winner. Although that happened back in February and this is now May. I don't know how long it takes to make cups, but (laughs) Apparently, well, I think it was a supply chain issue. So they were bulk ordered in China. And of course, China had another shutdown and uh, were not able to get things out uh, in a timely manner. But a friend of mine, the Philly and the yeah, two year old Philly at the OBS sale. And I told him that he needed to name her TBD. So her name was already on the glass. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. Benny, what did you see? Well, nothing out of the, that wasn't obvious to everybody else. Typically you don't get races that have a complete inverse, uh, which this race had. So there are several horses that are, uh, you know, it's kind of a TBD for them. They get excused because they just went too darn fast. I will say, I thought, uh, I thought that Pratt was playing chess and everyone else was playing checkers. Um, he targeted the right horse and the favorite and epicenter. Uh, but what most people don't notice is how brilliant he was in the first turn. He literally idled. He was going past epicenter and he idled to bait Rosario in front of him. And he took the bait and dove to the rail in front of him. And, and he just followed that one as kind of a lead blocker uh, all the way around the track. Uh, and it earned him a really good trip. Um, I do think he's getting a little bit of shade when he shouldn't. Uh, He did get knocked around at the start. It was probably the cleanest Kentucky Derby I've ever seen. Not probably. It definitely was the cleanest Derby in terms of the start. Um, I would agree with that. Very, very clean start. And, uh, but the one that did get kind of some bad, you know, some bad trouble at the start uh, was Zandon. He was knocked around a little bit and then he received some negative brushing and it landed him behind horses. Uh, so he probably ran just as fast as Epicenter did uh, throughout the race in terms of his proximity to that, to that heated duel. So a lot of people are going to fade him later. I'm not in that camp yet. Um, I, I think he ran just fine. But, you know, the, the takeaway for me was that Brad has just been unbelievable in big races. And if you watch his derby last year, it's pretty special. Watch him in the last eighth of a mile. The guy switched six, I think four or five times. He got every last inch out of his mount last year. So he, he's just a brilliant guy. Can't say enough about him. Okay. Now I've seen a lot of your tweets and you are a huge Pratt fan. Where did that come from? I just watch a lot of tape. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, you get in touch with these guys' tendencies and how they ride. Uh, some riders, I call, I call it riding light. They almost remove their weight as the horse is hitting the ground. Uh, you look at, you can follow guys like Irad. He rides light. You can see him start to coax his horse with his legs. Um, some jockeys don't do that. They ride very, very stiff. Um, I don't know if any of you know Martin Pedroza. He he doesn't ride light at all. He's He's more of an upper body guy. Um, but the better ones today, they do it all. They ride light like Irad, Manny Franco, uh, Jose Ortiz, Pratt is that way. Um, 
but I really started paying attention to how smart Pratt was. He's always targeting the correct horse and he will literally pass from horse to horse when he's coming off the pace, targeting horses that he thinks are going to take him through the pack and leave him void of trouble. So that's the big thing with him. Um, he's been at the beach in Del Mar running through wind and a parachute. I know he's exceptionally strong. Uh, and I, and I know for a fact he wants to be the all time winning, uh, rider, uh, in terms of earnings, the guy's got a very, he set a very high bar for himself and that's why he left. He, he, he wants the, the respect that he's due. And I think he's getting it now. Oh, wow. Well, Sherry, how does your, in, you know, what you saw at the Derby compare with what Benny just told us about Pratt? What did you see? Well, my Derby was a pretty much a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Um, you know, I went from feeling super excited with the butterflies ahead of time, just because I think something I want to touch on that, that before I get into the whole jockey stuff is that that is by far one of the best wagering boards I have seen in the Kentucky Derby in a long time. And I think that that part really kind of got me excited because between all the talk with Mo Donegal, Epicenter, and Zandon, I, I really thought that there would be a lot more favoritism towards one or the other. And there, there really wasn't. I, I kind of, I was actually surprised by that. So I was kind of licking my chops because I had Epicenter at a nice price and in my pick five. And I, I was actually alive to that point, which, you know, sometimes is a miracle on Derby Day. And I was excited. And then I was like thinking, I was counting my money. And then all of a sudden I saw my money going up in flames when I saw <laughs> the horse on the rail coming. And then my husband was yelling because he thought it was the two and then it was the 21. And we were just like, what happened? Oh my God. Like, I think it was, and, and the thing is, is that's so many of us forgot about the 21 because it came in. So he came in so late. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's kind of like kind of shade on me because it's a it's a Manitoba Dam Gold Strike that won the Woodbine Oaks, which I watched Gold Strike, you know, and so I was just like feeling like a real heel afterwards, like, uh, no, you know, as a handicapper, because not that I would have played it anyway, you know, mm -hmm. but I actually I actually thought that the rides for the most part, were quite good. And I do think that it was going to be a tactical race between Zandon and Epicenter. I mean, I, I really do. And I, and I think in the end, it, it kind of bit them because they were so focused on each other and where each other was going to be that, and, and, and I don't think either of them rode badly. Um, there, were some, there were some horses that didn't get the trips and of course you're gonna there's gonna be bet backs a lot of there's a, the pace was just insane so there's definitely going to be a lot of and i don't think that's the jockey's fault to some degree i think it just that's how it ended up being but mm -hmm. I, I think kudos to the winner you know yeah. i think i think actually they both rode the race extremely well to the best of their abilities and it just didn't work out mm -hmm. Caitlin, you were there. What was it like to be on site as this, you know, historic derby has taken place? Horse racing is 
a game that can sometimes be shocking and have a lot of shock value. Um, I've never been more surprised in my life. I will tell you that I was actually in the paddock watching. Um, and I'm pretty familiar with Eric Reed and Sonny Leon because of Turfway and being from Ohio. And I literally saw Eric Reed faint. And like, I seriously, it, it didn't catch on to me that the horse had won because I was like, kind of thinking like, who is that? I thought it was happy jacket first too. And then I was just like, so stunned that I didn't even have time to think about it. And like, I really, you know, I feel like this race unfolded like we thought it would, um, except for rich strike. I feel like everybody did exactly what I thought they would do except for rich strike, because I thought epicenter had the race in the bag. I was counting my money. I was alive to 16 horses in the Derby in the pick five rich strike was not one of them. I will never not press the all button in the Kentucky Derby ever again. <laughs> Or you um, could have hedged. <laughs> that would have never happened either. <laughs> so I was just stunned. But I really, you know, it unfolded the way I thought it would. I never thought Zandon would go by Epicenter. Never, ever, ever, ever. I think you could have went them around one more time. And you still would have never gone by him. But I have to hand it to Eric Reed and Son of Leon. Um, that ride is going to go down as one of the best rides in history, not only for the Kentucky Derby, but for horse racing in general. I mean, they did so many things that other jockeys and horses would have never done. But at the same time, I also recognize that the correct seams, the correct horses backed up. Like it was just the perfect storm of everything that needed to happen for that horse to win. And they made it happen. And I went back and listened to our Derby and Oaks preview and not a single one of us mentioned that horse one time. So that horse wasn't in the race at that point. He I'm was, he sure. was an AE. Gotcha. So we, was we, in, we weren't thinking about him. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And I would have never mentioned him on anything else. And right. somebody else was talking to me about this the other day. They're like, how many times have you seen rich strike one run? And I had to think about it. Um, Seeing him in person run, I saw him break his maiden at Churchill. I saw him three times at Turfway in person. And I saw the Derby. So I've seen that horse race five times. Would have never, ever, ever been on my radar. Never. Wow. Good to know. Because I thought with Zozos, I was going to have a mind that bird moment. He was going to take it all. I was going to salute, cheer, and be like, I told you so. But then, no, the real mind that bird comes <laughs> in and actually blows out. You got to mind that bird. bird. You got to mind that bird moment. Actually, it's funny. Um, yeah, I didn't bet it, that one though. When you <laughs> when you look and everybody talks about how shocking mind that bird was. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't shocking because it absolutely was, but mind that bird makes <laughs> rich strike makes mind that bird look like American Pharaoh on paper. I mean, yeah. just I mean, other than being a closer and a hot pace, being a potential, you could have just you could have never had this horse, never. And you know what, though, as, as I think we have to, we all had the right idea. <laughs> we just had the wrong, the wrong shot that we thought we were going to come in and pick up the pieces, right? Yeah. Or, or, the, or like, I, like I said, we're looking for that one horse that was going to wake up that one day and everything would just go the way it had to go for them. And that's mm -hmm. what happened. Right. Well, it, it was really nice because I think it was either that night or the next day. Benny called me because, of course, I had something I needed to do for Trip Note Pros. And he was like, never mind that. You have homework. Benny gives me homework. And he'll say, I need you to go back and look at the, the replay of the Derby and tell me what you see for prep. And so when he pointed that information out, it was so nice to see that, you know, the jockeys were moving 
with strategy in mind. It was just, for me, it was an amazing day from start to finish. I'm sure if you talk to some people on Twitter, their toxicity will come out and they'll tell you everything that you don't want to know. But I loved the race. Everything about it was great. And then being able to go back and look at the replay and, and, you know, tell Benny, I saw a goose on the track or whatever, uh, (laughs) not do my homework well, but so now we have the Preakness coming up and, and from what I've seen so far, there's no Pratt. Why isn't Pratt riding in the Preakness? He's suspended. What did he get suspended for? I can't, I was going to say Benny, Benny had such a beautiful. Yeah, I was I was about to ruin it by saying Benny had such a beautiful speech about Pratt, and I was about to ruin it and go, <laughs> "Well, he's suspended." Yeah, <laughs> I saw that incident, and uh, I thought it was pretty minor. Irad does that pretty much every day. Um, I don't think it was deserving of days, but he's got him, and it is what it is. He'll have to, he'll have to sit this one out. And there was no oh, I don't think he's too. suffering. He's out there breezing flight line. <laughs> There's no yeah. deep, there was no DQ on that, that race, though, that he was suspended for. That ride, Correct. I don't think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they do that sometimes. They feel like everyone's got a different take. They, you know, you're punishing the gambler if you take the horse down. But I don't, to me, that's kind of silly also. Like, what about the horse that he beat that you might have bet that should have been promoted? But... Mm-hmm. It is what it is. He won it last that's year. He's not winning it this year. That's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow. The, the the inconsistencies of DQs. That's a whole other show. <laughs> Which yeah, right. Which we've already you know mentioned a couple of times that it would be nice to have some kind of oversight, like real oversight. But whatever. All right, moving toward the Preakness, how did the draw go today? I made some embarrassing comments about time zones in group chat today, but how was the draw? I, I actually didn't see it. That I'm, I, Caitlin, you saw it, right? Yep, I was watching it. Um, I guess, I mean, there's nine horses in there, which, I mean, the Preakness field is usually mm, eight to 14. I would say I think 14 is capacity for this race, so... Uh, I actually was just popping off on Twitter. My bad. Um, people were like, um, well, why should, you know, people said something like, um, if we don't watch the Preakness, did it actually run? It's like, you guys are so mad about Rich Strike not running. And people always complain and say, well, we should do what's right by the horse. The one time that's done, the connections know that's not a triple crown style horse. Like, I, I just, I guess I don't understand the outcry, but that's neither here nor there. But um, I thought the draw actually went pretty fair. Uh, I mean, simplification down on the rail, he kind of makes his move a little bit later. So I'm thinking maybe he can kind of sit a secret oath type of trip, secret oath. I think she drew either four or five, maybe three, four. That's what I thought, four. So I, I didn't really think there was any problems that I had with anything in the Preakness straw or anybody that was like a real loser or anything like that. Um, early voting is sandwiched much between two closers and secret oath and happy Jack. So he's going to blast out of there. Um, Armagnac is in the seventh epicenters right beside him. Thank um, you for pronouncing that for me. <laughs> so I, I, I don't see there really being a real hindrance for anybody based on their running styles. I mean, Epicenter may not like to be right beside that speed, but I mean, he's going to be in probably the three or four path anyway, no matter who runs. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe 
early voting and Armagnac will kind of cancel each other out with that speed or if early voting's faster. Um, I, I just don't see it unfolding any different than it being secret oath or epicenter in the end. I, I really don't, especially with the Yak team now in here because early voting was lone speed before that and he's not now. So hmm. I, I kind of like him in there, actually. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I, I have to admit, I think it's going to be a great race. As for betting strategies, I'm probably going to do it a little bit different than I did with the Derby. But I, I'm, I think early voting, the only, the only problem is that everybody seems to be using him as the other compared to Epicenter and, and Secret Oath. So, but I, I'm curious to see how, how he's going to do here because I think the cutback for him is going to be exactly what he needed. So. Hmm. I'm definitely on Secret Oath again. I'm going to ride this horse into the sunset if I'm able to. Um, I, I was worried about her race with Barbara Road and Cyberknife. Um, so I'm going to be focusing a lot of my research this week on looking at the other horses um, that she'll be surrounded by and, and what they can do in comparison to her. But I think I think I'm going to stick with her for the Preakness as well. So what about you, Benny, ladies? Um, I think that Epicenter is going to be three to five and he's probably going to win. I, I do not like early voting at all. Um, I thought he had a perfect trip in the wood. That was a speed biased inside track. It's actually one of the reasons why I didn't like Mo, Don Mo Donegal because <clears throat> he did come up the rail in that race, which was definitely the faster part of the track. Um, so I'm, I'm a fade for early voting. Um, and conversely, I like Skippy long, long stocking who's 20 to one. I think that one's a little bit interesting. I'll probably, you know, if I get involved at all, it would be epicenter over that horse. Like I said, the wood was, a, you know, it was a moving sidewalk that day. And if you weren't inside, you had no shot. Skippy long stocking was wide and closing. Didn't get beat that far uh, by Mo Donegal and the winner uh, early voting. So that's my take on him. He's a big number and that's what it's about finding stuff that other people don't come up with. So. Nice. And we're going to talk more about trip note pros in a little bit. So uh, hold on to that thought. But Nancy, I think you wanted to say something. Oh, yeah. I'm just I'm on epicenter. Ruined my bet on the derby. I'll go again. Epicenter's got it. My long shot for the derby was cyber knife, but I knew that wasn't going to go well. Gotcha. Yeah. That's so all. Go ahead, sweetie. Oh, yeah. Just epicenter. Got it. Okay, Carson. Um, I think that uh, simplification is getting the snub again, and uh, he really got up there. He did, uh, you know, finish out the super in the Derby, um, and I am very much intrigued for um, Sano getting uh, Johnny V up there. He obviously knows his track very well. Uh, I think he places him right for those tight turns. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he puts him um, if he's going to sit back off the pace and run late, like he has done at Gulfstream <clears throat> or if he's just going to go uh, to the lead, like uh, he did uh, the past couple of years. <clears throat> and um, I think secret oath got the perfect draw. I wore my yellow for <laughs> my uh, black eyed Susan and for the four slot. I don't think she has to make many moves in this race. Uh, I think Sayas rode her wonderfully in the Oaks. Obviously it was a, a great result. So 
I think she'll be positioned well in those turns. And um, even though she's a larger horse, um, the way that she uh, closes out of that turn, that turn for home, uh, if you go back and watch her races at Oakland, how she comes out of that turn, even if she's not given a fair spot or if she's got some traffic, uh, she's very maneuverable for such a, a large size. <clears throat> So uh, I'll look at those. Two. I've been described the same, Carson. So, uh, Mary, your turn. <laughs> Tell us what Mary you're thinking. <laughs> I echo almost everything that Carson said. I really do like simplification. I'm I'm concerned about Johnny Velasquez because I didn't love the ride that he gave Messier in the Derby. I just thought that was like a very weird ride, and that was more Derby part. But anyway. I like simplification and I'm kind of interested in what Fenwick is going to do as far as like, you know, he's 50 to one on the morning line. I'm very interested to see where that goes because I don't know, he ran off his maiden win in the blue dress and wasn't anything special at all there, but I'm just interested to see if he has something else that we'll be seeing again. Awesome. And this, uh, this is probably a question I should have texted you earlier, Benny, but uh, tell us about trip note pros. Are we working the Preakness? Are we focus, uh, focusing on Santa Anita? Tell us what trip note pros does everything. We don't sleep is basically the short version. We're going to be in the sleep. Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to be in the replay booth. Uh, watching tapes and writing down what we see so that we uh, hope that people stay lazy. Right. But, you know, we're just, yeah, I, I did a, a brief interview uh, with somebody today and we were talking about past performances and what the running lines mean. If you're not watching replays, it's kind of silly to own a racing forum if you're not going to put in the time and, and, and actually watch the replays uh, because the PPs lie over and over and over. They're like my ex-wife. Uh, <laughs> all they do is lie. So you've got to, you've got to connect them with a video. And once you do that, it starts to paint a much different, much different picture. And so Benny, when you and the team are watching replays, what are you focusing on? Well, all kinds of things. Um, horse comfort is a big one. You'd be surprised what you can glean from a horse's body language when you stare at one horse all the way around the track, which typically when people are watching the races, they're watching them live. They're not doing replay work. And when you watch live, you're watching like a macro level. You glimpse at the front runners, you see who's moving well, mid pack, you know, you're, you're watching rooting for your horse. Where's my horse and how is he progressing through the field or what's going on with your horse? But when you stare at one horse for however long that race is, it's unbelievable the information that just flies off the screen. So that's the one thing. Horse comfort's big, especially in dirt racing. Um, jockey intent is a huge one. There's a ton that you can glean from what the jockeys are doing, especially with first-time starters. If you see a jockey that's in an all-out send right out of the gate, they typically have a plan. They're well meant and they're trying to win that race. Whereas if you watch the head on and you see a jockey ride with very quiet hands out of the gate, they're basically telling you today's not the goal. So you can expect improvement later. At least that's, you know, you, 
it's safe to take that leap because that's going to offer you value when you're, when you're playing, you know, playing the horses later. So jockey intense, a big one. I don't believe these guys cheat every now and again, they might, I don't know, but I do believe that there are times when things go South and they know they can't win and they wrap up and you need to know that. And, and if you're, if you're paying attention, there are a lot of jockeys, like I'm not going to name them. Um, but they do, they, they wrap up early and they increase the margin of defeat. And a lot of times they're right there. And if they would have ridden hard, they could have earned a minor award and even changed the outcome in the paramutuals. Um, but that's a big one. Obviously trouble lines that don't show up uh, are, are very, very important. And the biggest thing I think is that you might see a running line. I'll give you one example you might see a horse that's clear by a length. We'll, we'll call it a turf route. And the horse is clear by length, by length, by length, gets passed in the stretch and then finishes sixth by eight, let's say. And then you might have a stalker. And the running line in the PPs will say second by a length. So you know the horse is one length behind the leader. And that horse maybe overtakes the leader and let's say runs third, fourth, gets beat five lengths. And then you have another horse, let's say, that is closing from way off the pace. We'll say 13, 14 lengths. And you know that the pace is fast in that race. Okay, Whatever it is that you've studied, you have your U.S. time form pace ratings or whatever, you look at the fractions, you've decided that that race is fast early. People make the mistake of fading the horse at the back because what the running line will do, like my ex-wife did, is just lie to you. And what you may not see, and unless you watch the replay, what, what you won't know is that there might have been an eight-length gap to the horse in third. And the runners three through nine were all three lengths apart. And that makes for a race within a race. And it makes that closing effort very, very good. So people fade the wrong horses in situations like that. And you're just not going to know what the running line is saying unless you watch that race. It looks like the leader had an easy trip or rather a, a tough trip on the front end going too fast. And it looks like the stalker had the same, but unless you know, there's that gigantic gap between that one and the rest of the runners, you're completely fooled. And you're betting money on something that you're at a clear disadvantage to those that have done the work. So that's what we're trying to do. It takes a lot of time. People don't want to do it. I don't blame them. I've shed many tears turning on my computer uh, and, and doing the work, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to set the table for everybody else. So uh, never get outworked is, is the mantra and stay lazy is for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a couple of us do replay work and by us, I don't mean me. I'm not good enough to, to do what you do yet, but Sherry, you watch replays and I think Mary, do you watch them as well? Or I thought there it were depends one. on the race. Gotcha. If I see something that is kind of giving me questions, I have questions about, I'll go back and watch it. And something like uh, before the Holy Bull, I was like at White Abario and the PPs for him. And I was like, I need to see what happened in the last, start of his and at Churchill I saw he got a little caught up and then I'm like I'm gonna take a shot on him in the Holy Bull and he won't win her so replays do work nice okay I, I watch them because I have to <laughs> yeah yeah I'm sure 
I think it all depends too. Like I watch a lot of races to begin with, right? So if something catches my eye, usually I'll make a note like in my um, ADW, like I'll just put, kind of put a star beside them and make a note. Or if I have, like I have a notebook that usually cause I'm old and that's how I like to write things down because I remember them that way. Uh, usually something will stick in my mind and then I'll go back and I'll look at it. But when I see them next time, like if I want to see kind of exactly what happened to that, there's definitely, and, that, and that, the thing is, is we all look at replays differently and we all see different things, mm -hmm. right? So it really depends on what you're looking for. And then what you guys do is you provide a service that probably is above and beyond what we do or what we're specifically looking for, right? But yeah. I, I definitely, you know, I definitely think that there, there's something that if you, if you are really seriously putting down some good money that you need to, you need to have it in your repertoire for handicapping for sure. For sure. Carson, Nancy, do you, do you do any replay work? I do. Um, I'm also a member of team no sleep and uh, <laughs> big on the uh, international races because of that. And I was actually talking to Benny the other night, uh, my days sort of run together. Um, so whatever day Sadashi ran in Japan and what day that calculates to time zones, we won't ask AC about. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Um, going yeah. back in, I watched that race probably like 12 times. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult with the international races because you're a little bit limited with your camera view and angle. And it takes sometimes a day or two for more stuff to come out. But um, especially with Breeders Club coming, I don't think it's ever too soon to start looking at what your field is going to be. Uh, the benefit of these when and your end races is you kind of have a good idea of who is making the trip overseas, as it were. Um, but I do, I watch a good bit or if um, I am also notorious for being one off, <laughs> whether it's a horizontal or a vertical, and I'll go back and watch and see how I, I got beat that day. Mm. Okay. You know what? I actually at Breeders' Cup last year, there was a fella that was sitting in our box that wasn't familiar with any of the European um, horses. So between races, he was literally sitting on his iPad, pulling up all of the Europeans, watching the races before they, to see if he wanted to actually include them on his tickets or not. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It was interesting. I've never seen anybody actually do that right before the race is being run. <laughs> but, you know, like most, a lot of people I know, they, they watch replays all the time. You know, uh, Nancy, do you do any replay work? I, I didn't want to jump over you. No worries. Yes, I do um, replay work when it's, I know it's an important, like for me, it's a, when I'm betting more money, which is, you know, Kentucky Derby, um, Breeders' Cup. And then I also, because I mean, knowledge is power, right? So that's just like a tool in front of you. Mm -hmm. You can just, you know, use to your advantage. You can see, you know, how you're going to turn out. Now I do have my other times as probably some of you see my last minute pick three decisions where I'm like, Ooh, that looks good to me. And then I hope for the best, but like when I'm putting good money, I, you really got to do your homework and, you know, make sure you're making a good, um, you know, decision. And that's just one really good way to do it. It takes a lot of time, but you know, like if you win like 500 bucks off your um, pick three or pick five, then it's totally worth it. Yeah. I mean, there've been times where I've gotten emails from Benny at like 2 AM midnight. Hey, when you wake up, can you tweet this or, you know, and so I know that he is jeopardizing his health to watch all of these replays and stuff like that. So very appreciative because I do use the notes uh, to help me make my decisions. But I had a question, Benny, 
one of, when you asked me to rewatch the race, I, I think I looked at drone footage. How long before more of these major tracks make use of drone footage? It's amazing. I'd rather watch the drone view than the head-on or the, the pan. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to a little name drop coming. Nate Newby at Santa Anita probably five or six years ago. I'm like, dude, you need a drone out here. You know, mm -hmm. and, he, and he said, well, there's some issues with the horses being spooked and we tried to turn morning workouts and it didn't really work that well. And clearly they've got it figured out now, but I agree. It's a great view. Um, you know, it's, it's one more thing. It's one more thing to look at as if to the, the pan shot and the head on weren't enough. That's the thing too. If you really want to see if a horse is comfortable, you can combine that pan shot with the head on. You can see that horse that is not digging the kickback that has his, head cocked inward, you know, he's looking at the infield, trying to avoid stuff. Um, you can see that jockey that moves five wide down the backstretch, which you really don't get a feel for watching the pan shot because the camera's pretty low to the track. And some of those tracks are, are really, really, uh, really difficult to, to figure out from the pan shot, how wide that horse is. Saratoga is one of them. You could have a horse that's six or seven wide down the backstretch and he looks like he's two or three wide. Uh, because the camera is just so low, but yeah, it's, it's all, uh, it's all, it's all good information. It is a fantastic view and actually it's a great view and watching rich strike because everyone talks about uh, what a great trip he had and what a great ride he had. He was ridden into a box and he was forced to idle for quite a while before he reached an opening down to the inside. He got a little bit lucky that something developed through no work of the jockey and then was just able to work out a good trip zinging and zagging, uh, you know, in that inward spot down the lane, but rich strike, if not for that brief trouble, he would have won easy. You know, he would have won by two or three links, possibly more. You'll see him. He's running with Mo, Mo Donegal on the backstretch. And when, he, when he's asked to go, he leaves Mo Donegal behind. So nothing, nothing to me appeared fluky about the race aside from, aside from the pace, which was huge, but stretch runners are always at the mercy of a fast pace anyway. And, you know, he, he did his job, but that's the long answer for your, uh, your comment about the, the drone view. <laughs> so that being said now with, with, you know, it looking like he could win by two to, to three lengths. What, what do you feel with him now pointing towards the Belmont? What do you, what do you see with him there, Benny? Uh, just depends on who's in there. Um, you know, like I said, it was just such a complete inverse. It's, it's hard. It's hard to throw shade at any of these horses that were up near the pace that may show up in the Derby. Um, well, because know, they had said originally they were going to, if they didn't get in the Derby, they were going to point him to the Belmont, right? That's what they've said. I don't believe them. That's just my opinion. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't run ever again. Um, I think they know they, they, they had their run and I don't know, does he lose value if he lays an egg in the Belmont? I mean, probably most definitely. Uh, if I owned the horse, I might take my ball and go home. Wow. Um, really? So I, maybe. Yeah. So I hope that he runs. I'm not convinced yet that he will. Um, so would you fade him? Uh, it depends on who's in there depends on who's in there. So 
you know, he, he, like I said, pace makes the race and, and those big stretch runners like that are at the mercy of what happens in front of them. So if there's no speed in that field or less than normal, I would, I would fade him, even though I think his performance in the Derby was absolutely legitimate. I, w- I would fade him. Um, if, if a lot of speed shows up and he does also, he will be faded by a lot of people. And yeah, well, to that's, me, that's kind of where I'm going with it. Cause I see a lot of different like conversations happening on Twitter and stuff. And I'm just kind of getting a feel as to, you know, what people are seeing and what they are thinking, because it, it was, you know, there's so much that everybody thinks that the closers belong at Belmont. Right. But yeah, that's and not that's, necessarily the yeah. case. Yeah. And that's, that's the misnomer. I, I think that's a, a failure in the part of many handicappers is people think that closers just need more ground. And in reality, more often than not, they just need faster paces to run at. So especially in dirt racing, dirt racing is not horses accelerating 99.9% of the time. It's not about them accelerating throughout the race, unless you're secretariat. It's about front runners backing up and having an opportunity to plod and get past them. Um, deceiving almost right yeah they're not they're horses are getting tired horses are getting tired turf racing is not that way um it's about pace and it's about flow and it's about trip um they will sprint home faster than they start uh all the time so So it's the complete opposite kind of right it's totally different it's a totally different animal um that's why when you're watching replays between dirt and turf races you have to be very uh, cognizant of that um all kinds of things going to turf racing that people don't look for that they should but um yeah i, I i'm dodging your question i don't know it would depend on the field it would depend on who shows up there i hope he runs i would really like to see him run again um but i'm not convinced that he that he will yet i just know with him not showing up in the preakness it's it's really you know created a lot of discussion that I never even really thought of before. So I just kind of wanted to get what your feelings were and and thoughts. So thank you for that. Hmm. So I have a question uh, revolving around the new love of my life, Secret Oath. Uh, Why is is her, is it the owners? Why are they saying that she, this is her last race against the boys? Why would this be her last race? Especially if, if they think she could win it. Just you know, I'll chime in. Uh, go ahead. I, I, I think I think Secret Oath. Um, there, there's really no upside for her. She could dominate her division. She's really nice. Um, she tried against the boys at Oaklawn, mm-hmm. and that actually was a miserable, miserable trip. She shows an incredible turn of foot through the far turn after getting shuffled and racing obnoxiously wide. She was legitimate in that race. Um, I'm not surprised at all that she won the Oaks. I really liked her. Um, but it's all about, it's a, it's a cash game. So why not dominate your division and make a ton of money? Um, you know, they, they can only breed so often as broodmares. So, you know, there's, there's no reason to get thrown to the deep end of the pool and potentially lose out on low lying fruit and purse money. That's my opinion. So if she has a terrible 
terrible trip if nothing goes her way and she doesn't even hit the board in this race in the Preakness, does that diminish her value? I, I don't think so. She won the Oaks, right? So mm-hmm. she's proven she can go 10 furlongs. That's a big deal. Um, I'm sure you guys can answer this a lot easier than I could. I don't know her own pedigree line, um, but I know she's valuable as a broodmare for that one race alone. So I would is- love to see her knock heads with Nest again. I'm looking forward to her actually going back to the Phillies. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And, and not just, not just like, just because I think, I think that they're, and, and not even only just Nest, there's a few of them. Like, I mean, we love the Oaks, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's great that they're taking this step and running her in it because it's, it's a great story. And I don't mm-hmm. think it will decrease her value at all, right? It's kind of like almost, I shouldn't say a free pass, but if she doesn't have her race, it's, it's okay. She's very yep. talented and, and I don't, I think she will hold her own just fine. But, you know, I, I like, see, I, I would love to see a replay of the Oaks with those, another, a rematch, I should say, not a replay. Because mm-hmm. I think that that's just, that was so much fun. That race was so much fun. And I, would, I, I just think it's, it's good competitiveness. But I, I'm curious to see how she will stand up because I, I agree with Benny. I don't think she had the best trip at Oakland. So it was um, bad. It was really bad. I, well, and Lewis Contreras rides here, right? And yes. it, just, it it just did not, it was not the trip for her that day. It really was not. And I'm just going to leave it at that. But I'm curious to see how a different trip she would pan out. Because I do think she would have given Cyber Knight a run for her money that day. I did not think she would win. But I think she could have been much more competitive. And that's just a personal opinion. Like, I do think that she would have been up there a little bit more and would have given Cyberknife a bigger run for her money. Wow. Okay. So any other thoughts on the Preakness? I want to dig into Trip Note Pros a little bit. And I have a question about the Padres for Benny. It's one of my favorite stories. I want you ladies to hear it. Don't (laughs) sleep on the Black Eyed Susan either. That race turned up really nice. Yeah, I'm excited about that. So what do you guys think about the Black Eyed Susan? I haven't even looked at it. Yeah, I looked at the field and I'm that's the one I'm going to be spending a lot of time in. I'm hoping I'm hoping that I can have a good Friday as opposed to Saturday. Yeah, there's there's a couple prices I really, really like in the Black Eyed Susan that I'm looking forward to. Um, did anybody see the main special? I know she's going from main special weight in a grade two into a um, huge field, but 30 to one on the morning line for Miss Yearwood. Um, sign me right. up for that. Mm-hmm. I like her. Yeah, I think um, we're gonna, I think there's a ton of value in there. So I'm looking oh, yeah. forward to really diving into that one. Benny, have you looked it over yet? I know you have a lot of free time. Yeah, I'd rather lick rust than uh, <laughs> than jump into races that I don't have to trip right now. I will get to it though, obviously, because it's on the card. But I, I just haven't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right, oh, Nancy, Pizza Bianca's back Friday. What's that? Pete's oh. Pizza Bianca. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh She's my gosh. That's that's my it's my horse. Nice. Forget Bobby. That's my forget Bobby Flay. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure she was aware to watch her on yeah. Friday. Yeah. Now we'll all have to watch. To see yeah. Um, thank you. <laughs> all right. 
So the first time I ever heard Benny South Street's name, I was actually, uh, I was with a friend, but then the first time I saw him on TV, it was with Tom Quigley and he was doing Quigley's Corner. And he told this story about the Padres and it was the most amazing story because when you look at, at Benny Ryan, you don't think he could do this, but he's totally capable of it. He's a badass. So Benny, there's your opening. Tell us. Do you really want to hear this? I do. Yes. I want to hear it again. And I think the ladies should know that. Who they're talking to? A bad boy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was young, I, uh, you know, the question is oftentimes, how did you get involved in horse racing? And the truthful answer is my stepfather was a trainer. Uh, he trained at Agua Caliente. He was partners with Whittingham. They actually trained together down there for many, many years. Um, I was thrown into the back of a pickup truck when I was about four, and we went down to Mexico every every weekend. They only ran on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, but when I got a little bit older, things weren't going my way, just personally. I was just kind of down. Um, I was a young teenager. Um and I ended up dropping out of school. And one of the reasons why, and I, and it's funny is I ended up at the OTB with no money, but I would just sit around and watch racing all day, you know, because I, it was kind of in my blood. I grew up down at Caliente and I just, I didn't go to school. I went to the track. Um, but there was a time I went to a Padre game. I heard, a, I heard a batting cage. Um, I was going to my seats with my buddy. And I heard an indoor batting cage and I walk, I opened the door, walked down a hallway and I saw a former Padre, John Cruck, taking batting practice. He was getting fed baseballs from one of the, the bat boys. And I'm like, holy smokes, Johnny pound cake. This is amazing. So we're walking out. It was me and my buddy and we're walking out of, um, you know, out of that room. And there was a chain link fence and behind the chain link fence was all the Padres equipment. Well, I was probably 12 or 13 at the time. I got a little bit older and I'm like, you know what? Like, I bet we could go steal that stuff. So we did like any intelligent young teenager would do. I went to the local handyman. I bought the biggest pair of bolt cutters that I could find. I stuffed them down my pants and went to a Padre game. And about the fifth or sixth inning, we went and hid. (laughs) And we waited until, you know, one or two in the morning. Everyone left. We cut a hole in the fence and we started handing out all of the equipment or at least as much as we felt like we could carry out of there without, you know, dropping the stuff on the way out. So we got 60 bats in total. um, And it was kind of cool. And then we took it to the next level. We, why do we, why are we doing this at a game? Let's wait till they go on a road trip. So we would go down to Jack Murphy Stadium and and probably 10 or 12 times we went down there and we just basically emptied the place out um, with hundreds of bats, thousands of baseballs. I probably had 2000 Major League Baseballs. I had Benito Santiago's catcher's gear. We had helmets, jerseys. I played baseball at Torrey Pines High School in Del Mar and our team we hit national league pearls at batting practice. I was, <laughs> I was the man. Uh, you were but, a thief, sir. <laughs> well, I, I was, um, 
but you know that one of the reasons why I ended up dropping out was we got we got caught. I uh, I knew we were going to get caught. I traded a bat, uh, a Tony Gwynn bat, which I had five dozen of. But we waited about a year for this all to kind of we hope blow over. We drove up to L.A. I traded one bat, and we went back the next day, and the bat was gone. And we asked a kid to go in and ask the storekeeper, you know, what happened to the bat? Did you sell it? And he said, no, it was confiscated by the authorities. So I knew that we were going to get in trouble because it had only been one day and, and the cops had already found this bat. Clearly they were looking for us. So I did what any intelligent young teenager would do. I stole a car and I went to Mexico. So I fled to Mexico and, uh, that didn't work out all that great. Lucky for me to Mexico. Yeah. Lucky for me, one of our, um, our, the guys involved was 18 and his dad was wealthy and he hired an attorney convinced us to come back and we ended up getting off. They didn't do any, we, we were supposed to do community service, uh, which never happened. Um, but yeah, that was, that was one of the reasons why I met the track on the scale that I did was because I did, you know, I did leave school for a while and I was just, you know, I was at the track that worked out great up until I got pretty good at sports. I re-enrolled um, at a small Christian school in Solana beach near Del Mar racetrack and things started going my way. And I started getting interviewed by some people. And one of them uh, is a guy named Ed Graney. He's the one who wrote the article. In fact, he's, you may know him now. He's huge in Vegas. He's huge. Yeah. So Ed came to our school and he's like, what are you doing here? Why aren't you at a big school? And I told him the story about the Padres and then then the lid was off. Everyone knew that I was, you know, that I, <laughs> that I had done what I, what I did, but, it, but it's funny because that the year or so that I spent away from school at the track, I really watched a lot of horses run, um, at the local OTB, which is kind of funny. So it's, it's come full circle here I am now. And, um, I make three cents an hour watching, uh, replays, uh, for everybody. So it's kind of funny. Well, and everybody thinks I'm the jerk, but I only work for the jerk, right? You're the criminal mastermind. I'm the angel. So this all works out for everybody. Totally true. Absolute bucket of rainbows is what you are. Exactly. Thank you for admitting it in front of other people. Uh, <laughs> so where can people get trip notes, Benny? Well, we, we just shut down the, the, the paywall is back up, which kind of stinks, but, um, for the rest of the Santa Anita meet, we'll be doing those. I had an agreement with them. They, they pay us for the product and we tear down the paywall and they give it away to everybody, uh, which is great, but that time has expired. So the regular website, tripnotepros.com, uh, we'll be doing Santa Anita this week, as well as uh, obviously Preakness day at Pimlico, um, and then we're still up at TVG. There's a, there's a quick link there and we highlight a race of the day or two, uh, depending on the tracks and, uh, yeah, it's in the promo section or, or a quick link. So you can head there too. If you don't want to, don't want to buy the card. Do you do tracks in Canada? What's that? Do you do any tracks in Canada yet? You know, it's funny. I, um, 
I promised him I would not say his name ever, and I'm going to keep that promise. But there is a famous gambler at Woodbine that reached out to me about a year ago. (laughs) And uh, he asked me to trip Woodbine for him and only him. Um, And I thought about it, and then I said, no, I'm not going to do it. But I do love, you know, it's funny is I love synthetic racing. Um, I love the product at Woodbine. I think it's a great product. Uh, I think they do a phenomenal job. The horse population's healthy. Um, and the synthetic plays more like turf racing. So it's much easier to find hidden gems. Um, and that's the reason why I ask is because we have like, we have two turf courses now, right? Because we have yes. the inner and now... Yep. We have enough. I, I think we're going on year three. I can't remember with the pandemic. I kind of lost a few years here and there. Yeah. So I think there's a lot more information you could probably take from the replays now that we have a better idea of how the course actually runs. Yes, I, I would agree. They yeah. have a really tight turn on the, that inner. Yes. Um, which is huge. And I know they run five furlong turf sprints there. So one of the things that I love are turf sprints. Uh, and the reason why is because nobody considers centrifugal force, which is a major, major factor in turf sprints because you're running at such a high rate of speed. If you're two or three wide, um, if I could explain this, the best way I describe it is a golfer. When you're swinging a golf club and the head of the club is moving much faster towards the ball than your hands by the time your hands and club meet the ball they're perpendicular to your body right so they're they're even with one another and as that club wraps around your body the outside um what i'm describing the, the head of the club which is farther away from the center of gravity is traveling way faster than your hands yeah and that's exactly what five furlong turfs sprints do if you're two or three wide and you're sprinting into that turn you're having to fight inward you're fighting the center of gravity the horses that are inward that don't time their their slingshots off the turn they're either going to do very well by making that move or you're going to get an inferior rider that mistimes the move you're easily pushed out of the way uh, by the inward horses because it's just one little love tap and that horse cannot hem you in um so those things are are critical and turf sprints and you may not have a trouble line at all and they're extremely valuable extremely valuable especially if you look at a pace and you go oh, the pace is slow and he was near the pace but if he's three wide or two plus three two plus or three wide and he's trying to keep pace with the horse that's near the center of gravity, which is the rail horse. He's doing so much more work and there may not be any trouble line at all, but it is a massive, massive disadvantage for the horses out there. It's been interesting watching them because we, our outer course has these really big sweeping turns like Belmont, yes. right? Yes. So it's been interesting watching to see which horses really adapted well to the tighter turns as opposed to the big wide sweeping turns. It's kind of been actually a really interesting thing to watch over the last couple of years. And some horses can adapt to them both. And yes. the rider 
took the riders a little bit longer to adjust. I think certain, uh, and I, I didn't, you guys would know more than me. I'm not, I'm not uh, into like the horse flesh. That's not my skill set. but I do believe that some horses can be left footed and right footed. Some horses corner. Well, IE stormy um, got stormy, you know, she just loved that Saratoga uh, tight turn. Yeah. Um, you know, some of them corner very, very well. And I think it's interesting. I, I wish you heard about more trainers training their horses in both directions. I think it makes for a sounder horse because if you, if you're just running, if you're just putting that same constant pressure on one of the horse's legs while they're turning, um, I think that can potentially, and I don't know, <laughs> but I think it could potentially lean to, uh, lead to some soundness issues. Whereas trainers that, that do train their horses in both directions, um, they probably have an advantage would be my guess. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because before we, we had the inner turf course, they were actually running uh, races the other way just to try to utilize because our turf oval is a mile and a half. So they thought, okay, well, let's try to run races the other way like they do overseas right. just to try to see how it works, right? Yeah. And we did it, I think, for a year. And then it just, they, they decided that experiment wasn't going the right way. So then we got the inner turf course. But it, it was definitely interesting to try to, because the jockeys had to adapt to it as well. Yep. Right? Yep. So. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting stuff. But I love Woodbine. It's a, it's a great product. I'd love to trip it one day. Um, I almost got coerced into doing it, but. I was just curious because I haven't seen anything up here. So I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to see if it was on the table at some point. So yeah, call them, set us up. We'll pay you commission. <laughs> <laughs> so ladies, if you will remember, and we're getting ready to, to wrap up, but I wanted to tell you or remind you that I had an amazing day at Belmont on Saturday. And it was a really important day for me to have an amazing day at Belmont. And the first text message I sent out was Benny South Street saw me everything I know. And, and, you know, of course, Gorgos helped as well, but Benny is like the, the coach who's like, okay, go back and look at this. So Benny, the ladies and I would like to give you a golf clap for my wonderful day at Belmont. It had some uh, wonderful ramifications uh, for me. More than one, as we all know. More than one. So <laughs> thank you for uh, your tutelage. And it has been just um, most days I prefer working for you uh, than my daytime job. So, but thank you for coming on the show today. And I'm sure we'll have you back in the future. And I know that you probably either need a nap or to get back in the replay booth. Flattery so, will get you everywhere. Damn right. It will. All right. So <laughs> thanks everyone. We will be back next week and uh, we look forward to having you with us. If you have anything you want to say, any feedback, things you'd like to hear about on the podcast, please go to X Factor Racing on Twitter. I'm Mad Fat Teacher and Cora Amparo. Ladies, you want to say goodbye? And then we'll wrap it up. Sherry Echo Philly, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Mary Rufo, Miss Mary Rufo one on Twitter and happy to chat with you this week and we'll see you next week. Caitlin Free. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, um, Caitlin Free, you can find me pretty much anywhere. I'll be a Churchill where I usually am, but excited to 
recap Preakness next week and look forward to Belmont. Awesome. Well, Carson Rogue Wolf 007. I'll probably sleep the rest of the week and wake up in Baltimore on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should, I think we should give a little shout out to our girl Caitlin too, who was on site all week at the, at the <laughs> Kentucky Derby. She did a wonderful job. And oh, it thanks! Nice. It was very nice to watch you f- to to shine like the star that you are. Very Absolutely. well done. There were two people I looked out for. It was Michelle Yu and Caitlin Free. And every time I saw you guys, I was just cheering. Look, so. <laughs> I know her. Yeah. Go ahead, Miss Nancy. Take us out. Oh, I'm Nancy. You can find me at ohheyitsnance.com or .com. Hello. That's, that's <laughs> not today. But anyway, um, thanks for being on, everybody. And I'll be uh, on next week. Awesome. And it's <laughs> at B South Street on Twitter. If you're not following Benny South Street, you're not doing yourself a whole lot of favors. Follow Benny. Follow Trip Note Pros on Twitter. Uh, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Cheers, ladies. Thanks for having me.